pastor, our senior pastor, Jonathan Wilson, as he comes to the platform. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, happy Valentine's Day. I guess I have to say that, don't I? Or I'm going to get left out. And uh, I love that verse. And I, uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I wonder if you've ever noticed this. That's John 3.16. Who can tell me what 1 John 3.16 is? 1 John 3.16 is, by this we know love, that Jesus Christ gave his life for us, and we ought to give our lives for each other. I think it's an amazing thing that John 3.16, and then 1 John 3.16, it's almost as if he did it intentionally. And I believe there's an intentionality in there that... that uh, John reiterates in his epistle, his letter, uh, by this we know love, that Jesus laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for each other. So, yes, happy Valentine's Day, and uh, tomorrow is Single Awareness Day, if you didn't know that. So, it's a day for all those people who maybe don't have a Valentine, in inverted commas, and we can celebrate singleness. Uh, so there you go. All right. Well, I'm going to talk before my message. I want to share a little bit about our giving. This is our, our moment for giving. And uh, I know that if you're, whether you're at home or whether you're here, um, we want to take a moment to uh, pause and think about our giving and our offering today. Um, we, uh, when it comes to giving, obviously the message of the gospel is a message of giving and of generosity, but at the core of that is intentionality, and at the core of that is purpose. And I love the passage in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul is encouraging the Corinthians uh, to give an offering, and he's, he's, he's really going around all the churches, encouraging them to give a significant offering that is going to go towards the church in Jerusalem. And I don't want to get into that in, in great depth, but it, it was an amazing, uh, in a sense, everything that they were being blessed with had come from Jerusalem, and now they had an opportunity to give back and to bless the church in Jerusalem. And Paul says this, he says a number of things to the Corinthians. First of all, he says, your zeal is stirring up other people. How many of you know that generosity is contagious? Get around, uh, hey, can I encourage you? Get around generous people, um, not stingy people. Uh, generosity is contagious. Um, and the second thing he, d he says is, don't do this out of grudging obligation, um, but do it out of a cheerful heart and spirit. So I want to encourage you. This is a moment when we're focusing on our giving. Let's not do it out of grudging obligation. Let's do it out of a, a spirit of joy and generosity. And, and then he goes on and he says, let everyone give as they purpose in their hearts. Um, and he talks about how God loves a cheerful giver. If you're a parent, 
Uh, no doubt you will have had this experience. I remember many times when we were driving in the car somewhere, um, we had, at the time, the twin boys and, you know, lots of kids in the back and Bella and, and so on. And there'd be, someone would get hit or someone would get pinched and there'd be a, a scream and they hit me or he hit me or she pinched me. And what's the first thing that would be said? I, it was an accident. I didn't do it on purpose. Because the kids know there's a big difference between doing something by accident and doing something on purpose. And it's exactly the same when it comes to generosity. God's saying, do it intentionally. Do it with purpose. Because there's something powerful in purpose. And I want to encourage you this year, when it comes to your giving, of course, the Bible talks about different levels of giving, donations, the most significant donation that was ever given was that by the wise men when they gave their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus. Then there's tithes, which is the first tenth of everything that comes into our life, and then offerings over and above that. And I want to encourage you today as we think about our giving, not just for today, but this year, let's do it with purpose, let's do it with intentionality, and let's take the Word of God and remind God of His promises. God, this is what Your Word says. I'm honoring You I'm believing that what you say, you will give seed to the sower and bread for food. I'm going to have enough for bread, for food, and I'm going to have enough seed to sow. Do you believe that? So we're going to take a moment and pray. That's my Bible. My Bible is falling apart, which is why I'm not. Um. We're going to take a moment to pray, and I also want to highlight this card, which um, maybe uh, I hope you would have received in the mail that we sent to everyone about our, uh, our, our giving this year. And as you know, every year we have vision focuses, we have a, uh, projects that as a church we want to be able to make a difference in other people's world. Last week you would have heard from Bijou Thampi in India. If you didn't go to India last year, if you gave to your vision offering, you did. Your finance and your resource went there, even if you didn't, made a difference in people's lives there. And there are other things that we are wanting to do uh, through not only our food with love and through what we're doing in India as a church to be able to reach out and extend our reach beyond here and to be a storehouse. So we want to encourage you, if you're a kingdom builder, uh, we have a kingdom builders information evening, and we'd like you all to join that if you would like to be a part of that. Find out how you can be a part of fulfilling our vision. It's Saturday, sorry, it is Tuesday, Tuesday evening, 7.15 to 7.45 before Life Group. It's a Zoom call, and I'm going to be sharing a little bit more about this, some of the things we're going to be doing, how you can be involved, how we can make a difference together through our generosity and through our giving, and uh, how we can continue to move our vision forward. Amen? So I'm going to pray right now. If you're giving, of course, you can give online. Uh, if you're at home, going on the screen is a number of different ways that you can do that. So, Father, we thank you today for your grace. We thank you for your generosity. We thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your very best, the firstborn of heaven. And we want to thank you for that. Today, Lord, through our giving, through our uh, generosity, I pray that, uh, that you would do what you promised to do. 
You'd open the windows of heaven. You'd multiply the seed that we sow. You would enable us to be generous on every occasion. And I thank you, Lord, for the promises of your word. Thank you that we can make a difference in our world. Thank you that we're recipients of others who paved the way so we could hear the good news of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you, some people like to give in the service. We don't have buckets right now uh, or containers because we're trying to follow all of the protocols. Um, but there is a, a container as you leave or outside on the connect table there that you can put your offering in. All right. I'm so glad that right now in California, uh, the... Uh, restriction that was put on churches gathering indoors has been lifted. That was a Supreme Court ruling. Thank God for the Supreme Court. And uh, thank God that we can gather together. And I do want to say this uh, before I continue. You may be watching at home. I understand that over the last year uh, that Many people have had different opinions about what we ought to do or what we ought not to do when it comes to gathering as a church. I know that some churches have just continued to meet regardless, and others have not met and gone completely online. And as a pastor and as a leader and in, you know, in consultation with pastors around the country, I have and our, our leadership team have have done our very best to approach this from a position of wisdom and faith. And so there are protocols that we have uh, ha and restrictions that have been put on us, and we have, we have functioned as a church within those protocols. And um, there are many different ways of going about this, and I understand that people may have had differences of opinion, but we have kept to the government and state guidelines, but at the same time, We've been meeting in our homes online. We've been meeting outside when we've been able to meet outside. And now we can meet inside. We're going to continue to meet inside. And so we've, we've done this intentionally from a position of wisdom and faith. And uh, I know that there are people that are going to take... We've always had a saying in our church, find your place at your own pace. So there are people that are going to come and they're going to take some time. Some people, here's a fact, some people will never shake your hand again. I'm just going to pause and let that sink in. Other people have been trying to shake your hand for the last 12 months. Some people will only do an elbow bump or a, or a fist pump or a, or a wave. Everyone has their own, you know, their own comfort levels. And so as a church, we want to embrace everyone within their own comfort levels. And so while we meet here, we're doing everything we can to, do, uh, to meet and in a safer manner as we possibly can and, uh, and embrace people and allow people to kind of take their time. So it's going to take time. But this is what I'm praying. I'm praying right now that the trickle of people coming back physically into the house of God at their own pace, and there's no, we're not laying any guilt trip on anyone. You come at your own pace. But I'm praying that as things change, that the trickle will become a stream. The stream will become a river, and the river will become a flood 
in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So there's just a little pastoral update for you. And before I start my message, a very happy birthday to William Itson today. All right, we're speaking about presence. And uh, today I want to speak about God's presence. The title of my message is God's presence, my presence. God's presence, my presence. It's Valentine's Day, in case you didn't know, and everything is heart-shaped today. When I say heart, you know what I'm saying, heart, okay? So from here on in, heart is heart, okay? I can't say it, heart. I have to speak like a pirate, a heart. It's a heart-shaped day today, So, it's Valentine's Day. Everything is heart-shaped. So, I'm going to speak about the heart. The Word of God says this. Keep and guard your heart with all diligence and above all that you guard. For out of it flow the springs of life. For out of your heart and out of my heart flow the springs of life. Some translations have the wellspring of life or the issues of life. I think we all know about heart health. The heart is not only the source of our physical life, but it's the source of our spiritual and emotional and psychological life. And so many of our sayings in, the, in our various languages express that the heart is the center of our being. My heart is full. My heart is overflowing. My heart is heavy. My heart is broken. My heart is uplifted. All of these sayings are expressions of the fact that we know and we understand that our heart is the key to a healthy life. Our heart is the key to a happy life. Our heart is the key to a resilient life. And so much of what happens in life is determined by our heart and our heart responses. How often have you heard that if if someone is having a struggle, you've heard the expression or you may have said said these words, it's an issue of the heart. The problem is not what's happening around about that individual or around about us. It's an issue of the heart. It's what's happening inside us. If you, I'm sure that you know someone who's had to go in for surgery, for heart surgery, for a a blockage in their heart, which has need to be cleared. And as I continue in this kind of mini-series, I've got a message that's brewing in me about blockages of the heart and things that can block the flow of life in our hearts. And, and the, the, the reality is that heart disease has been for a long time and is, and you may not be aware of this, the number one killer in the United States of America. It's not only a killer physically, it's a killer spiritually, it's a killer emotionally, it's a killer psychologically. So you may be asking, our theme for this year is presence. So what on earth has my heart got to do with our focus and theme for this year, presence? 
And my answer to you is absolutely everything. My heart has absolutely everything to do with the flow of God's presence in my life and through my life. My heart has absolutely everything to do with my presence in my family, in my workplace, in my church, and in my community. So as we talk about presence, the key to the flow of God's presence in my life is my heart. The key to my presence, wherever I am, is my heart. And now when I talk about God's presence, I want to preface it with what I've talked about the last couple of times I've spoken, is that there's a difference that we need to understand between the manifest presence of God and the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God is that God is everywhere. You can't go anywhere where God is not. And whether we feel Him or whether we don't feel Him, God is present. The manifest presence of God is when we sense His presence, we experience His presence, we know the power of His presence at work in our lives. And so, um, this is why Solomon wrote, in speaking about the heart, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life, because he knew that the condition of our heart would determine how much we experience God's presence and how much we are present wherever we are. My heart determines God's presence, and my heart determines my presence. You could call this message, my heart and God's presence, my heart and my presence. When I'm going to ask you a question, if I was to ask you a question about which of the characters in the Bible comes to mind when you think about God's presence, who would that be? I'm not talking about Jesus, who was the presence of God. But apart from Jesus, who is it in the Bible that immediately comes to mind? Maybe it's Moses. Fair answer. Moses spent 40 days on the top of Mount Sinai with God. I've been to the top of Mount Sinai. I've climbed it in the middle of the night. I've seen the sunrise over Mount Sinai. I've been using it as my screen backdrop for my Zoom calls. I've been speaking to people from the top of Mount Sinai. The only problem is, it's not Mount Sinai. It's not where Moses was, or so they believe that's actually not the location, but it feels very much like where it was. And Moses spent 40 days there, and he, listen, he didn't eat, and he didn't drink for 40 days. That's, he got pretty close to the presence of God. He said, I'm not going anywhere unless God's presence goes with us. So Moses would be a fair answer. So hands up, who thought David? Okay, you go straight to the top of the class. Because that's the first person that comes to my mind when I think about someone who, who, uh, who valued God's presence more than anything else. God said about David, David is a man after my own heart. Now, it's interesting. I want you to think about presence and heart. God said to David, about David, David is a man after my own heart. He was 
He was someone who experienced God's presence in a very intimate way. And he was also someone who was very present in his generation and was a hugely pivotal figure in God's plan and purpose. David is a man, I think, who stands out above all others when it comes to the presence of God. Why? Simply because he valued God's presence more than anything else. Now, if I was to ask you about Solomon, what was it that Solomon valued more than anything else? Solomon, of course, was David's son. Wisdom. So David, his father, valued God's presence. Solomon, his son, valued God's wisdom. And it was Solomon who said, wrote these words, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. Where do you think he learned that from? He learned it from his father. He learned it from uh, his father's teachings. He learned it from the example of his father. And this is what God said about David. God said, 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14, this was, of course, at a time, a pivotal time in, uh, in the nation's history when Saul had been uh, appointed the first king of Israel. Saul, who was head and shoulders above every other man in his tribe. Saul, who was oozing charisma. Saul, who appeared to be so gifted and was the, the one that the people chose. He was the people's choice. And yet he disobeyed God. Yes, yet he was half-hearted in his, in his following of, of God and God's Word. And at the time, this is what God said. This was the king that you chose. Now this is the king that I'm going to choose. This is the king that you anointed. This is the king that I'm going to anoint. And he said, and as he spoke to Saul, this is what God said, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man, David, after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as leader and ruler over his people because you have not kept, obeyed what the Lord commanded you. And then God sent Samuel to anoint one of Jesse's sons. And without going into the whole story, Jesse paraded all his sons uh, in front of Samuel um, from the oldest to the youngest. David was out in the field looking after the sheep, and after Samuel had seen every one of Jesse's sons, he, he said, the one that God's going to anoint is still not here. Is there, is there not another one? And Jesse said, well, I've got a young son who's out in the field, who's looking after the sheep. Jesse, Samuel said, well, bring him here. And, and this is what uh, God said to Samuel when, uh, when uh, he was anointing during this process. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. This is one of the older sons. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So what I want us to focus on here is that my heart is what attracts God's attention and my heart is what attacks attracts God's presence. You see, the problem is that most of us, deep down on the inside, think that it's our behavior that attracts God's attention, 
and it's our behavior that attracts God's presence. But the Bible makes it very clear, it's not our behavior, it's our heart. How many of you know that your heart can be right and your behavior can be wrong? But better to have a heart that's right with wrong behavior than a wrong heart and right behavior. And so, God is teaching us something through this story. I think that often when we look at the word or we think of the word holy, holy is one of those words, you know, we talk about people being holier than thou. To be holy literally does not mean, the essence of the word holy does not have to do primarily with our behavior it has primarily to do with our position. The word holy means set apart. So if my heart is set apart to God, yet my behavior is flawed, am I still holy? Yes, I am. Because holiness is to do with my position more than it is to do with my behavior. Does that mean I can just go out and do whatever I like? No. No. Because if I went out to do whatever I like, my heart would be wrong. But when my heart's desire is to be set apart to God, and yet I have personal flaws or you have personal flaws, of course you don't, but I do, then, then we, 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 we can look at ourselves from, through the lens of our behavior rather than the lens of our position and the lens of our heart. Am I making sense this morning? It was David's heart that attracted God's attention. It was David's heart that attracted God's presence. And I want to suggest to you today that it's my heart, it's your heart that attracts God's presence more than anything else. And David knew that God's presence, here's the key, it's so important that we understand this. David knew that it was God's presence that was going to enable him to be successful as the king of Israel. David knew that God's presence was the key to his success as king in exactly the same way that his son Solomon knew that God's presence and God's wisdom were the key to his success. The first thing that David did when he came to the throne, David was anointed three times. I'm not going to get into this in detail, but David was anointed three times. Once he was anointed as a shepherd boy in his father's house. We've talked about that. The second time, he was anointed over the ten tribes of Israel. And then the third anointing was when he was anointed over Judah and Benjamin. And so after his third anointing, when he became king over all of the nation of Israel, and I want you to think about this. God anoints us at different times. For specific purposes. And the anointing is the empowering of God's presence, the enabling that God brings to our lives. And so uh, Saul, sorry, David here, when the first thing that he did when he was anointed as king was he went down and he got the Ark of the Covenant that had been in, in, in outside of the city of Jerusalem, and he got the Ark of the Covenant, and he brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and put it in the temple. Why? 
because he valued God's presence. The ark was the place where God manifested his presence, and yet Solomon had left it. Solomon had paid no attention to it. Solomon had left the ark and, and had forgotten about the ark, and yet the very first thing that David did was he, he got the ark, he recovered the ark, and he took it up to Jerusalem, and he put it in the temple or in the tabernacle at that time before, before Solomon's temple. That was how much he valued the presence of God. David is an amazing character. He wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms. 73 of the Psalms he wrote. His son Solomon wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. So between the two of them, they wrote those books that are at the very heart of the Bible. And if you have a Bible, if you have a physical Bible, and I know a lot of people use um, iPhones, but there's something powerful about an actual book, the Bible anyway. I'm just getting off my off the point here. I had a pastor friend of mine who... He, he borrowed my Bible at a prayer meeting recently. We had a pastor's prayer meeting here. And he said, can I borrow your Bible? And he took my Bible. I said, yeah, you better be careful. It'll fall apart in your hands if you don't hold it properly. And he, and he said, he said, this is the first time I've actually picked up a physical Bible for years. He said, I'm used to doing this on my screen. Anyway, that's another subject. I'm not judging him. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I like a, a book, even if it is falling apart. But if you open this up, right in the heart, in the middle of the Bible, are the Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And just as they are positioned here in the heart of the Bible, they're all to do with our heart, which is why those books, why we identify them, why when we're going through a tough time or a difficult time or when we're, when a, when we're dealing with matters of the heart... We go to those books because we can identify in those books and with those books. And Jesus, this is what, this is what um, David wrote, Psalm 27. Psalm 27 and verses 3 to 6, this is in the Passion Translation. My heart will not be afraid even if an army rises to attack. I know that you are there for me, so I will not be shaken. And then he goes on to say, here's the one thing I crave from God. The one thing I seek above all else, I want the privilege of living with him every moment in his house, finding the sweet loveliness of his face, filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. I want my life so close to him that he takes pleasure in my every prayer. What an amazing psalm. This one thing I have desired. What was Paul, uh, what was uh, David saying, he was saying that he desired God's presence above everything else. Why? Because he knew that the presence of God was so fundamentally important to him. Psalm 63, verse 1, O oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. And Proverbs 18 and verse 17, David's son said this, I love those, God speaking through Solomon, I love those who love me, and those who seek me early and diligently will find me. 
does that have to do with the time of day? I don't know about you, but I know Jesus would get up at before it was light. My body clock doesn't work that way. Everything inside me is saying, it's dark, go back to sleep. Is there anyone else out there like me? Well, when David is saying, David's not saying you're more spiritual if you get up to pray before the sun rises. What David and Solomon are saying is that when our first priority is to seek God, our first priority. Now, we all know that if you leave something till the end of the day, it's much more likely to get left out than if you do it early in the day. But that's not to do with the hour of the day. It's to do with the priority. And there is something about taking time in the still of the morning before everyone else has got up. When, whenever you do that, and you think, wow, this is, this is a great time of the day. There's no distractions. There's no phone calls. There's no requests. I'm able to do what, I, what I'm focusing on doing. And here's the thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to wrap uh, this up in a, little, in a little while and bring the second half of the message uh, next time I speak. But when David sinned, and we think of David, we, we often, um, one of the things that is always flagged when we're think, looking at the life of David is, that, is David's sin. Obviously, David's sin with Bathsheba, his adultery with Bathsheba, and then, of course, his ordering of the killing of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And when David, when David was held accountable before God for what he had done, the cry of David's heart wasn't, don't take the kingdom from me. Don't let me lose the throne. Don't let me lose my wealth, my riches, my influence. No, the cry of his heart was, do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He cried out to God that God would not remove his spirit from him. Why? Because David's heart was always towards God, and he valued God's presence more than anything else. And what he was saying, what he, what he understood was that, that God's presence was central to every aspect and area of his life, and it was the key to his success. And I want to encourage you today as we close, and we're going to get the worship team to come to the platform now, I want to encourage you today... Um, when it comes to God's presence, let's, let's this year make a decision. And we're still in the early weeks of this year. Let's make a decision. God, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to seek your presence. And in order for us to do that, we, all, we need to have a revelation of the value of God's presence and the importance of God's presence and that God wants to be present at the very center of everything that we do. Next time I speak, I want to speak about my heart and my presence, because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your heart is, that's where you'll be present. And there's some powerful truths that we can learn from that. But my pres but, but 
but God's presence. My heart is the key to God's presence. And I want to encourage you to stand with me. We're going to worship God for a moment together. I want to encourage you to stand with me. And, and I want to pray. And just like David, I, I pray, I pray that we might have that desire for God's presence and that we might know God's presence. God's presence is the key to the peace that we so want to experience in the midst of the challenges. God's presence is the solution to the epidemic of anxiety that we're seeing in our world. It's no secret, and I'll share this because I've asked our daughter London if I could share this, and she said, yes, she's very happy for me to share this. But just recently, she's been experiencing high levels of anxiety. Like many, many kids, she's 13 years old. She spent the last year of her school life in her bedroom looking at a screen. And you've got kids. There are parents here. Some who haven't been able to go to in-person schooling. And she's been experiencing high levels of anxiety. And we've been helping her. We've been walking her through this, her mom and I. But just recently, in more recent times, she's been picking up her Bible. And she's been reading her Bible. She's read the whole book of John from beginning to end to me and to her mum. She's in, read the, pretty much the whole book of Matthew. She's reading Jesus Calling. And she said, she said, every time I read God's Word, every time I read my Bible, I feel peace. That's the presence of God. And she said, the good thing about the anxiety that I've been feeling is it has been turning me towards God, towards His Word, and towards His presence. And I said, That's, that is a powerful testimony of how your heart is responding to what you're going through. And you can share that with other people. And I said, would you be okay if I shared that in one of my messages? She said, yeah, I would like you to share that. God's presence is the answer to the epidemic of anxiety, of depression, of alienation, of a loss of purpose, of a loss of meaning, of a loss of hope that we're seeing in our world. And very often we try to approach it from a rational or a psychological perspective, but I want to bring this into the spiritual realm, and I am a big believer in, in doing those things that, that, that are healthy, for, that are important for mental health and exercises and our mentality and our, 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 our thought life, which are all so important. But I want to bring this into the spiritual realm because there's a spiritual dynamic that I'm talking about that is very powerful. That's why we want to see why presence is such an important word for us this year. God's presence. 
Where God's presence is, there is peace. Where God's presence is, there is healing. Where God's presence is, there is breakthrough. Where God's presence is, faith rises in our heart. Where God's presence is, there's hope. Where God's presence is, we find purpose. And so today we're going to worship God. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to worship God together. And I pray that you will have a fresh sense of God's presence that will touch your heart and touch your life, whether you're here today or whether you're at home. So, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing love and grace. We thank you that you are the God who is here. You're the God who is present. You're the God who will never fail us nor forsake us. And today we invite you, Lord, with hearts that are open, hearts like David that want to seek you, that desire to know you, that desire to experience the power and reality of your presence. God, touch each and every one of us with a fresh touch of your love and your power and of your amazing presence that we might be awakened afresh to you in the powerful name and wonderful name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen and amen. Come on, let's worship together. take a moment to pray for people here today, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person, who want to either make a recommitment of your life to Christ or you want to make a, you want to invite Jesus to, to touch your life. You want to invite Jesus to be your Savior. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came he was the presence of God, God who came into our world to bring His love and His grace to each one of us, who also hung on the cross so that you and I might be forgiven, so that all of our mistakes, all of our wrongdoing would be dealt with once and for all on the cross. And all that we have to do is to ask Him to forgive us and we'll receive the gift of forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. So I want to pray that prayer, and I invite you to pray this with us. 
whether you're praying it for the first time or whether you're making a recommitment of your life to Christ, and you're going to know God's presence in a fresh, new, and powerful way that's going to transform your life and your world. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place so that I could be forgiven. I ask you to forgive me. Give me a fresh start, a new beginning. I believe I will never be the same again. And I thank you for the gift of eternal life, for the gift of your presence, that you'll never fail us and never forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, we'd love to give you some literature, get some uh, a book into your hand called Following Jesus, how you can take the next step in following Jesus, in, in, in this amazing journey of faith that you've just begun with that prayer. God is going to be with you. I want to encourage you to do a couple of things. Read your Bible or get a Bible if you don't have one. Begin to read it. God will speak to you through it. Begin to talk to God, just like you would talk to a friend. Talk to, talk to Him. He's your heavenly Father. And then start to be a part of a community of faith, a family. The church is a, not an institution, it's a family. And if you're watching online or you're here, we'd love you to connect with us, and we'll put some literature in your hands and, and help you take those next steps.